brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Schweikert, Gannison, Krizak, Rundio proudly sponsors the Friday Night Drive. I'm Mike Krizak. If you've been injured, we are ready to take on the insurance company and get you to the end zone. We've recovered hundreds of millions of dollars for our clients. Visit gannassin.com. Welcome back to the Friday Night Drive podcast. I am Kyle Neighbors along with Steve Susie here back with you to break down week five of the high school football season. We got a lot to talk about here. It's the first week where teams, while they can't technically clinch a playoff spot, we do get our first batch of teams as they move to 5-0, and pretty much so up a playoff spot uh, here in the 2022 season. And that's really where we want to start the, this week's podcast. Before we get into the matchup we're looking forward to is as the uh, as the season progresses, Steve Susie each week puts together his playoff projection. No surprise, it gets more accurate as the season goes along here. Suze, now that you have four weeks of data, uh, data to look at, we just posted uh, the, the most recent projection to FridayNightDrive.com. Uh, 29 new teams, whether they were just entering the field for the first time or coming back into the field or into the projection. Uh, what were your t- takeaways after looking at the week four projection? I'm, I'm having a lot of to- lot of difficulties rounding out the back end of the field from week to week. These The numbers of new teams that are adding into the field and coming back out or whatever, those are a little higher than I would expect to be at this point, which speaks to the fact that uh, – the middle of conferences is a little bit harder to kind of sort out at this point in time. Obviously, the lesser number of variables as we go week into week into week into seasons make it a little bit easier to clean that out and get a better idea of what likely will happen. But it's been, I guess, a little perplexing to try to sit down in some of these conferences and try to figure out 
maybe not who's going to be maybe the one, two, and possibly three teams, but those teams that are going to maybe grab the last at-large bids in, there seems to be a lot more teams in consideration for those spots than usual. Usually maybe you're looking at three teams for two spots or two teams for one, and you can kind of you know, get the microscope on them and pick them apart. And it just seems like this year I'm looking at more situations where there's four teams for two spots or maybe even five teams for two spots where I have to kind of sort it all out and I don't have enough variables to get a real good feel of who separates themselves from the rest of the group. So that's been the really tricky part about this uh, in terms of putting it together. Because usually I, I like to see, you know, numbers of like maybe 15 to 20 that are moving in and out of the field at this point in time of the season. And we're pushing closer to 30. So that kind of speaks to the instability of the middle of a lot of these conferences. Yeah. 29 new teams in the projection this week. A lot of those are larger field teams or larger class teams. Uh, again, you can find all of our, all eight classes of Steve Susie's projection live right now at FridayNightDrive.com. You can find all of our work. If you follow us on Twitter at FN drive, you can follow myself on Twitter at Kyle neighbors, Seuss, uh, you can find Seuss on Twitter at the Seuss. You can find all of our work, of course, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook for Friday Night Drive. Just search for Friday Night Drive. As I said, Seuss, we got a lot of larger schools kind of working their way into the projection this week, and it's it's causing teams that we don't usually see in uh, to fall into classes that we're not typically seeing them. For instance, we got Prairie Ridge and Simeon once again in Class 5A. We got Sacred Heart Griffin showing up in 3A. We got some teams that are typically 8A schools kind of straddling that border between 7A and 8A. Do you expect that trend to continue? I mean, it's, it's going to be hard to tell. I mean, I talked a little bit about the Chicago Public League variable that kind of came into play to why some of this happened this week. Um what could end up happening next week is we could flip it back. And I mean, there could be small public league schools, you know, fitting into the field and taking the spots of larger ones. Um, it That's unlikely to happen. It'll probably be a little bit of a mix of the two and it might settle down a little bit more. Um, but right now, what you have to notice is like, if there are upset games out there, where's, where's that team coming from? Is it an 8A team? that maybe fought its way into, into consideration. Is it a two way team? I mean, which way that line goes, there's usually a two to three team wiggle on each one of the classification lines this early in the season. Um, and as we go along, that wiggle gets a little bit smaller or in some cases vanishes entirely. Um, so that's what you're looking at. You're just kind of looking at where the surprises come from, what size schools they are, they are coming from in, in that situation who's getting who may be earning themselves a spot and and who ends up losing their spot essentially the trade-offs become less and less like i said there was there were about 30 this week um once that number gets down to 10 or 15 you'll start seeing that that line isn't moving as much because there's just not as much instability in the individual classes I was over at uh Jacobs on Friday night the Golden Eagles were hosting Prairie Ridge and i was talking to a a PR um, a, a PR family member, uh, a parent of a former player who does some audio or some video work for PR. And he was talking about that. They, uh, someone had shared your projections after week three on one of the PR message boards. And they were saying uh, it, it, within that projection. And again, this week, you know, Prairie Ridge was a five, a school. And they said, ah, don't, don't, don't look at that. You know, we've seen this before. We always end up in six, a don't get your hopes up. Uh, at this point, can you can you give a number or percentage odds that you think PR ends up in 5A? 
I mean, they're so close to the border. So it's it's just one of those things where right now they're sitting right on that line. So it just takes like one thing to bump them back to six. Um, if they were a couple of teams deep, I'd be more willing to put a higher percentage on it. I mean, they're right. History proves that usually it comes down in their favor. But there's also a couple of other factors that aren't there but that have not been there before. So um, I won't go into the weeds on some of those. But um, I would say that if you would ask me this question two years ago in this in the circumstance that we're in right now, I'd say 10%. I'd put it closer to 25% that they stay there right now um, as, as we go, just, just because of some of the external factors that now are in play that weren't then. Uh, just hitting a few of the highlights of the brackets here. I wanted to talk about Class 8A, 8A because it's always a loaded class, and it certainly is this year. But, uh, you know, I actually find it to be a little bit more top-heavy uh, in the projection so far, Sue. So, I mean, you got Glenbard West at that number t- uh, one spot. When I say top-heavy, I mean, you're still looking at a, a first-round matchup potentially of Maris and Homewood Flossmore, 16-17, where Homewood Flossmore, you know, bottom half of the bracket on a road game is a really good team. And there are some teams in the 20 that are lurking. But this time, I actually feel like, you know, the, the 8A bracket is, more, like I said, more top-heavy than usual. Yeah, I think some of that leans to the fact that, I mean, you go down into the, I guess, into the lower seeds, and there's some teams that maybe have – not been consistent playoff teams kind of taking up some of those spots. Um, and that's, that's leading to a little bit of a change. Another thing that's kind of been weird about this whole thing is trying to sort out the upstate eight conference, which has a couple of teams that are eight, a schools that I currently have projected in the field, but they're running neck and neck with a couple of schools that are seven, a schools, six, a schools, so if those schools end up taking those spots rather than those, then you're seeing some of those 7A bubble teams that are big 7As moving back down into the 8. And I think that might change your your argument there if that ended up happening. I, because some of the teams that are on the bubble are really uh, notable teams that I think would beef up that field considerably, like Edwardsville and Plainfield North and some teams of that nature that are sitting right on that line right now. So... If, if the upstate goes in a different direction and some of those smaller school smaller enrollment teams end up getting into the field instead of the ones that I currently have, um, I think that changes the landscape of eight pretty considerably. Uh, looking at Class 6A, currently the top seed in the south bracket is Lamont in Class 6A. You got Kenwood uh, on that south side of that bracket as well. So obviously that, that split, which is it, not uncommon. It, it's usually pretty far north. Um, is it... Is it further north than usual, though? Not really. I mean, you can look back to last year where Lamont played East St. Louis in a quarterfinal game in 6A. Okay. Um, it usually resides somewhere around that general area. I think the one right now that I'm finding has a bit of a different geographic split currently than we're used to is 4A. Um, we're seeing some teams that you're used to seeing in the north bracket falling into the south bracket. So I think that is the class right now where geography in these 1 to 16 brackets is showing kind of the, I guess, what can happen if you have maybe a few more public league schools get into the draw that kind of force that line down, um, you know, or excuse me, force the line up to where north and south is broken. Um, I think that's the one where I'm seeing the most geography split right now that is like a little, a little, a little bit different than you're used to. Yeah, just quickly glancing through the 4A North bracket right now. I mean, you got Hyde Park in there, Ag Science, Vocational, uh, Noble Rauner, 
uh, Noble Corner or Comer, sorry. I mean, all that, which, uh, you know, pushes teams like Morris and who else in here? I, there was another team that I, uh, Cole City, down to that south Cole side City. of the bracket. Yeah, that, that can make yeah. for some long bus rides there in the first couple of rounds for Cole City and, and Morris. And that's kind of what I was talking about before being some factors that, uh, that that are in play now that weren't before. You mentioned two schools there that have never been playoff eligible before in Noble Rauner and Noble Comer. So those are two schools that look like they're on the path to possibly getting playoff berths. We've never had to consider where they fall on the enrollment board because they've never been playoff eligible. So them being in here in the 4A mix changes the landscape. So that's that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about here with, with some of these public schools taking up spots that they've never even been eligible for. Not, not necessarily that they haven't been good. We just, we haven't even had to, had to consider them as a factor. Uh, before we throw it over to get a, uh, a word from our sponsor, Seuss, what else, anything else stand out after the, the week four projection post week four projection? You know, it, a lot of, a lot of the classes right now, cause we've been talking about, you know, how, uh, how few nine and O teams are. The one thing that has stood out to me is how many are still congregating in the general three a area. Um, that's a class where unlike all the other classes, if you're seven and two, you're not necessarily locked into a home game. Like you, it's debatable. So, I mean, that's seven and two with good points. I should say, if you're a seven and two team with low points, you're probably not locked into a home game, but that's where at like a lot of the not the undefeated schools are congregating in 3A and I find that kind of interesting. The other classes have a fair amount of teams projected to get there um, but you know the the difference between like 3A and some of the other classes is 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 pretty stark. I just noticed here you have a team in your class 5A bracket that I've never heard of and um, that's a you know I, I'm not trying to say that I know everything by any means but I'd like to think I know pretty much all the Illinois high schools at this point, and there is a there's a team in there that I have never heard of, Seuss. IT, ITW Spear. Yeah, is that who it is? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a different one for me too. Um, the thing that the thing that we're noticing now is that other than I think one or two, there are about I think twelve schools that are affiliated in these small Noble Street Charter schools, and Previously, very few of them at all if at all were eligible for playoff consideration. They used to be in a conference all by themselves. They were ineligible for playoff performance. Now they're sprinkled all over the Chicago Public League conferences. So if they do well enough, they'll get in. And that's uh, I guess that's going to be an education for people in regards to who some of these schools are. So it should be it should be something. All right, well, stick around. We got plenty more to talk about to get you ready for week five. But quickly, first, we want to get a word from our sponsor. Schweikert, Gannison, Krizak, Rundio proudly sponsors the Friday Night Drive. I'm Mike Krizak. If you've been injured, we are ready to take on the insurance company and get you to the end zone. We've recovered hundreds of millions of dollars for our clients. Visit gannassin.com. Okay, once again, want to say thank you to SGKR for sponsoring the Friday Night Drive podcast and the team of the week once again this season. Now, Seuss, we want to jump into the week five slay and going to start in your neck of the woods uh, because we get our first round of conference division play for the Southwest Prairie Conference this week. You get a matchup between Plainfield North and Yorkville, a pair of 4-0 teams uh, that there's not going to be a lot of points scored in this game, man. Yeah, it it's definitely looks like that on paper. I mean, when it comes right down to it, really, really good defensive fronts on both sides there. Um, 
Plainfield North has shown some capabilities on offense that uh, maybe they haven't been able to do before. A little bit more capable of being a balanced team. So yeah, a little more past. dynamic. Plainfield North, is, Plainfield North has kind of been more of a ground and pound, let our defense hold you to two touchdowns, and and we'll figure out a way to get three. Um, that's that's what they've been doing for the last couple of years. They can put it in the air pretty pretty effectively. So uh, I think that might give Yorkville a little bit of trouble in that sense. Um, Yorkville's dealing with a couple of health issues too. So, uh, I don't know if they're going to be full strength in this game. Uh, uh, Geo Zeman is their, is their lead running back, but he didn't play last week. He had a boot. Um, so I don't know what his status is for this game. And he was kind of the key cog in their offense the first three weeks of the season. So big part of what they like to try to do. So, uh, but I think ultimately what this comes down to is it's probably going to be a good old fashioned rock fight between the two of them. I don't expect a whole bunch of points on the board. Yeah, the the SBC, as I said, getting its first group of division games in this week. Uh, you mentioned, I believe, in your what we learned uh, this week after week four, talking about the difference between the SBC West and the SBC East, the Plain- Plainfield North and Yorkville in the West, considered typically the stronger division of the two for the SBC. That's once again the case this year. The SBC East, and I didn't even realize that until reading your, your, your piece, Deuce, there is not a single team uh, with w- more than one win in the SBC East. So, uh, <laughs> now we get into the division play these last five weeks, but it's going to be an um, an uphill battle for these teams for them to get more than. I mean, they'll get, obviously get one in, but uh, is there any way for the the SBC East to get more than two teams in the postseason? Well, there is. I mean, essentially, you could have one team go five and zero in, in divisional play, and another go four and one. And then the, they, those teams being one and three to start the season, so you'd get actually get one six-win team in that scenario okay. and one five. But based on how things have gone so far, I wouldn't like I wouldn't place betting odds on someone running the table in this division. Yeah, that's kind of um, what I meant. It, I think they're they're just there's just there's just too much uh, I guess inconsistency with pretty much every team that goes in there. Um, I, I think what we're probably looking at is a very similar situation to what happened to it, what it, that league and what I believe was 2019, where via tiebreaker Joliet West went to the playoffs with a four and five record. So uh, I think that's something that we'll be looking at uh, as a possibility as these these games go down as, as they get played out. All right, moving on. I uh, want to hit on Bolingbrook at Lincoln Way East. Bolingbrook at 3 and 1 at Lincoln Way East at, uh, who is 4 and 0 coming into this one. Uh Bolingbrook, we you know, we talked a lot about them the first couple of weeks of the season. Obviously, a huge week one win that kind of surprised uh, the win itself didn't surprise everyone. The fashion in which uh, in which the win came about probably surprised everyone. Took that loss in week 2 to Simeon, a very good Simeon team. Uh and, and taking care of business since then. And then you have Lincoln Way East, which I don't ever want to say that the Griffins are flying under the radar because they are Lincoln Way East, but they've just kind of been taking care of business and and, and you know not a lot of attention on them. And I'm sure uh, I'm sure they're just fine with that, Seuss. Yeah, it, it's been kind of interesting to kind of watch them, you know, kind of build here as the season goes along. Uh, the last two weeks, there haven't they, they've really haven't been challenged at all in their regular season schedule. And it was interesting. I, I didn't cover either of those two games. I even had a hard time finding out information about those games. It was like, it was like, yeah, we won big. Moving on. It, I mean, so that's that's uh, that's kind of what was th- they're about right now. This is an interesting segment of schedule for them. Uh, Bolingbrook has always been 
you know, has been consistently good over the last couple of years, but this has been a hurdle for them. They just have not been able to figure out how to clear. There have been competitive games between those two teams, but you never really got the feeling that Bolingbrook was going to be able to get over the top of the mountain. So I'm sure they'd like to try to break up that string right now. Um, it's been a while. I, I looked it up earlier this week. I believe it's been seven or eight years since Bolingbrook has beat Lincoln Way East. Um, so I'm sure they're probably looking to reverse that trend. Yeah, Lincoln Way East playing really sound football so far this season. I mean, you go back to week one and week two, just really taking it to Crete Monee in week one, and, and that Batavia game finished 31-16, but it wasn't that close of a game even. Uh, it's just kind of been Lincoln Way East taking care of business. I don't think that the Griffins have faced a team that has the uh, the capability, the offensive capabilities that Bolingbrook has. I, uh, looking forward to seeing if uh the raiders can give lincoln way east their best game of the season Seuss. but all right we're gonna go ahead and head over and stick in your area the uh neck of the woods uh because you got joliet catholic coming off that win against providence last week now it takes a trip over to crete monee uh and like i said uh lincoln way east took down crete monee back in week one but this is a, a warriors program a very strong program we year in year out uh you you know that it's going to be there deep into the postseason but it's not this edition is not one that I, I know a lot about so far this season, Seuss. So can you give me and our listeners a, a bit of a, a bit of a background on, on this Crete Moni team? I mean, you, you look at you look at Crete Moni this year, and they're they're two and two on the season at this point, but played a really strong non-conference schedule. They started the season with uh, with a loss to Lincoln Way East, followed that up with a loss to Andrean, Indiana. Um, you're you're kind of looking at that in the in the realm of where they were at, obviously, they get into their conference schedule. They get into a little bit of a role. They they won extensively last week, um, and we're basically going to sit in a situation where Crete is uh, is is going to find a way to put themselves together uh, by the end of the season. But now they're still trying to get into the midst of switching from the conference schedule where they win really really comfortably and a non-conference schedule where it's extremely competitive. All right. Well, I'm sure you heard uh, our, our number one fan back at, uh, barking in the background there. Always has some uh, strong thoughts there. So I was telling Seuss uh, as he came back in the room. I'm pretty sure I heard the growl there, too. So she uh, she really uh, has some big thoughts on Joliet Catholic and Crete Moniz, Seuss. Yeah, apparently um, it is a fun game. Let's. I'll be completely honest with you. I mean, after seeing Joliet Catholic last week, against providence um i was impressed with their ability to to do things on the offensive side of the football with some different personnel from what was on that team last year um defense it did leave me with a few questions and that uh that creates an interesting situation for a crete team that has a lot of talented players on offense so joy cat is going to need a step up performance on defense to protect that undefeated record and move into the next uh next week still undefeated but uh, Crete's kind of fun. Got a quarterback, Josh Franklin, who they kind of move around the field. He doesn't always serve as the quarterback for the Warriors. They'll mix it up. They'll put him out on the outside, bring in another guy to to, uh, to engineer the offense. They're creative that way. Um, Crete's schedule is uh, in the non-conference schedule for a team that ultimately usually ends up in the 5A, 6A Mitch, Mitch, mix can't be really beat by anybody. I mean, they they put it out there. They'll play anyone that they can in the non-conference schedule because excluding Kankakee, who's become a pretty good rival for them in the Southland Conference, 
the rest of the teams in that league are nowhere near where Crete usually finds itself on a team-wide spectrum because uh, the Southland Conference is definitely an extremely top-heavy conference with Crete and Kankakee at the top and then a big ball off to the rest of that league. I'm surprised that Rich Township, now that it's combined all three of its schools into one uh, athletic program, hasn't had uh, more success. I mean, there, there's always been some talent there. You would have thought that with them going to the one school thing that they would be a little more competitive, um, not just within the Southland Conference, but give a little bit of better challenge for to teams outside of it. Yeah, anyway. it's, it's one of those things with them. I think it still might take some time, but uh, when they merged, they took those three athletic programs and made them into one. Rich South football was was in the dumps. I mean, it was no, it was not competing very well on any level against anyone. So essentially what you were doing was kind of taking the parts from two programs and combining them together and maybe hopefully getting a little, a little addition here or there. There have been some signs this year, I think, that Rich Township is getting closer to maybe being a little bit more competitive. Uh, they played a pretty good team in Indiana uh, in the non-conference season, fought them pretty tooth and nail, and now that team is – I believe five and one over in Indiana right now against some pretty good competition. So uh, I think they're getting closer to being better, but the gap still is pretty wide between Kankakee and Crete and the rest of the teams in that league. Uh, all right. Up in my neck of the woods here in McHenry County, uh, Fox Valley conference rivalry week here uh, with Kerry Grove and Prairie Ridge playing and Jacobs at Huntley playing. I want to hit on these two games quick uh, because we go into the games here with two favorites in Prairie Ridge, uh, the favorite over a young Cary Grove team, and Jacobs, which just took down Prairie Ridge for the first time since I want to say it was 2013, the first win that Jacobs had over PR. Apologies if I, I got the year wrong there. Um, but Jacobs, uh, always a good rivalry against Huntley. I'm going to start with that game, Jacobs at Huntley, because this is uh, the type of matchup where I, I really like the way that Jacobs' offense is coming. But you're talking about a team that – had a really dramatic win over PR at home last week. Um, I, like I said, a team that hadn't beaten in a long time now has to go on the road against a Huntley team that has bounced back after missing the playoffs last year. This, while I, you know, on paper, I will definitely be picking Jacobs to win the game. I think this is a bit of a trap game, Seuss. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's definitely one of those games where you better not get caught peeking ahead because there's uh there's, I'm sure Huntley is probably looking for an opportunity to, uh, you know, access their chance at p- pulling off what would be, I think, a considerable upset if they were able to do it. But still, uh, you have to respect what that Huntley program has done in the past, and it would be foolish to look past them. Yeah, and then uh, the other game there, PR, uh, that is not a team that I would want to have to face coming off a loss, particularly in the fashion that the Wolves lost last week. I, I expect them to, to handle Carey Grove pretty well here. Uh, kind of the opposite of last year. We're used to these two teams playing really close games. Uh, Carey Grove, which it went on to win the Class 6A title, beat East St. Louis in that title game, uh, really took the PR during the regular season. They didn't get a chance to meet up in the, the Class 6A postseason like they normally do. I think PR is going to be in pretty good shape in that one, Seuss. Yeah, I would think so too. But I, I mean, I've, I. This is one of those games that every year, if if you told me, if you wanted to make a case for either one of these teams, uh, you could probably convince me that either one of them are capable of winning the game. There are very few games where I don't have a strong opinion heading into it, where I'm like, 
I think that 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 team's a pretty a pretty good favorite, a solid favorite, whatever. Those two, when they meet, you could you could you could pitch me just about any outcome, and I might be willing to go along with you. All right, let's uh let's hit on the mid suburban here. Can't can't go without a uh, go through an entire podcast without hitting up the mid suburban Sue's, uh, my favorite conference man. Uh, and you get a game that I've been looking forward to for quite a while this week in Prospect and Hersey. Uh, but I actually I want to spend more time talking about Hersey this week than we have because while we've talked about the mid suburban East, we've talked about Prospect. Uh, you know, its potential to to compete for a seven A title. We've talked about Wheeling and Elk Grove and 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 Rolling Meadows kind of flying under the radar and, and putting itself in good position. But Hersey, a team that is 4-0, uh, had quite a few new faces last year, ended up going 7-3 and under Tom Nelson. The Huskies, um, this is a team that I, I don't think we're given enough credit to through four weeks. Well, I think that's fair. I mean, you've got, you've got a team that has putting up a bunch of points. Uh, I think it was 57 last week or something like 56, yeah. I believe it was. Um, they're putting up a bunch of points, and then you look back on their schedule, their defense is throwing some stuff out there too. A couple of shutouts over Deerfield and New Trier earlier this year. Deerfield, a consistent playoff team. New Trier maybe not quite at the level that they've been for the uh, you know the earlier in, in the decade or something like that, but still a program that, I mean, you don't expect to just roll over them in that fashion. So, you know, kind of quietly because I think prospect is in some respects has stole some of their thunder with, with their start and the teams that they've beaten. Um, it is definitely a team right now that I think if, if you're thinking you're going to just roll past them, you are I, I, exaggerating the situation a little bit because this is a good team, a good solid team and a team when I, like I was starting to look for some, some openings in my uh, in, in the Friday night drive power rankings this week, for teams that I felt like, you know, deserved a spot, uh, I'll admit I had kind of overlooked how well they had played until I kind of put them under the microscope and looked at it. Uh, this is a really good football team, so I expect this to be a, a very good game on Friday night. I'm I'm setting the over under for combined points in this game at 83. What what who are you taking? You taking the over or under there? I think I'll take the over. Actually, I I I believe both of these teams are capable of scoring a lot of points. So. Um, it should be it should be really fun. Yeah, uh, I'm taking the over there as well. But all right, so I want to switch over here and hit up some small school game before we wrap it up. And the first one I want to talk about, Zeus, is Seneca at Iroquois West. These are two teams here that come in at I, I believe four and zero. Right now that I, I lost yes. my sheet here, yeah, four and zero each team there. These are not two teams uh, now. Iroquois West at four and zero had a really really nice season last year. But combined, particularly when you you look at more than just the last couple of years, these are not two programs we're used to coming in at four and zero, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about this as I realized that this was a four and zero against against four and zero matchup. I, I was trying to think the last time Seneca had been four and zero. I thought it had been a little while, so I looked it up and I found out that it was in two thousand and thirteen. And then my mind started to, which is a you know a fairly decent string to go back to. And then I was then I started thinking about it, I'm like, boy, I don't actually know the last time that Iroquois West was 4-0. Because I re- remembered even when they, when they won a state championship, they lost in week three to St. Joe Ogden um, at, a, at a game that I was actually at. So I was like, boy, I'm going to have to go into my own personal archives to try to answer this question. And I found the answer. You, you got any guesses before I tell you what it was, Kyle? The last time Iroquois West was 4-0? I have no idea. 
Well, they weren't actually known as Iroquois West then. They were known as Gilman, and it was 1986. <laughs> so that that uh, that tells you where where we were at there. So yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting little fact finding mission that I had there. But Iroquois West is a really really good team, um, and I think this should be a very interesting game. Seneca has been putting up massive rushing yardage this season. Multiple guys over a hundred yards per per game. Um, they are really doing a nice job so far. They they absolutely smoked Georgetown Ridge Farm last week in week four uh, to get to four and zero. So kind of a you know rock against a hard place here. Iroquois West has an excellent defensive line. Uh, big Cannon Leonard, I think he's about six foot nine. He's going to Iowa next year. Uh, kind of anchors that unit for them. So it'll be interesting to see if Seneca can get still continue to get a rushing foothold against this Iroquois West team that has a really really good upfront. Uh, situation there in their front seven. So um, I would expect uh, this to be one of our faster games on Friday night, too. I don't think either one of these two teams are very interested in putting the ball in the air. Keeping things in the Illinois River Valley, you have Ottawa Marquette coming off uh, a quality win last week uh, uh, versus Anilon Weathersfield, and now goes up and faces Hope Academy. I uh, wanted to get your feel for Hope Academy. Uh, it's a program, another independent program that has, has been in the, I believe, the 1A postseason field and most seasons here. So can you tell me anything about this edition of Hope? Well, I mean, Hope is a very interesting team. They've got guys all over the field that, like, you find it kind of hard to believe that they're a 1A team. Um, I mean, they've got Jamarcus Lofton in the backfield's a very talented runner. Um, they have a quarterback, and I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, uh, just kind of a multi-dimensional type of kid, I believe. Again, in Quincy, Notre Dame. Oh, there it is. It's Eddie Jenkins. Um, five passing touchdowns against Quincy, Notre Dame last week through our, in their week three game. Threw for about 400 yards. Um this team can do a lot, and they're an interesting team. As an independent, they've had some difficulty scheduling games after they were, to be frank, kind of unceremoniously dumped from the Chicago Catholic League when they uh, realigned and merged with the East Suburban Catholic Conference. They kind of left them out in the cold. Um, so that for the last couple of years, they've kind of scrambled to schedule games, um, and they've challenged teams that, to be frank, as a 1A school, I wouldn't like their odds. Um, I know – like one year when Kankakee had a, a forfeiture and, and Hope did too, Hope went down and played Kankakee. I mean, that's a that's a 5A, 6A powerhouse that they just walked in and they they gave they lost the game, but they gave a pretty good accounting for themselves. I can't imagine a lot of 1A teams that would even attempt that. So this is a very good team. Um, I, I'm glad to see that they're finally uh, getting a little bit of recognition in the state polls because I really think they deserve it. Uh, before we wrap it up, we can't go through, uh, we're, we're five weeks into the po- podcast and I don't think we've talked about the Sangamo very much yet, Zeus. And I know you and Joe Stevenson would be very disappointed. How did that happen? Yeah, I know. You, you How did that see- happen? How did I allow that to happen? Yeah, that, that's what I'm getting at here. So we get our first real power matchup between uh, Sangamo squads this uh, week. With you have Athens and Williamsville squaring off. Uh, between those two pro or programs two quality quality teams here both coming off 10 and 2 seasons i believe if i got that right uh here let me double check that yeah 10 and 2 seasons Seuss, 4 and 0 coming into this one how do you see this one playing out well it's one of those situations when you look at in general who these teams you know 
how they do against one another and historically there's really a you know you have to go with Williamsville in this one but Athens always intrigues me um they're they're a large 1A school they kind of hover on that 1A 2A bracket line um and you can't discount their ability to be in this football game but I very infrequently in a regular season game, you might be able to talk me into maybe doing it against one of the better Murrow Forsyth teams they might run into, but I don't make a business of picking against Williamsville. It just doesn't work out well if I do. Yeah, it's very often that, or not very often I'm picking against the Bullets. Uh, Athens did give them a game last year, 28-21. Looking back on that, just kind of looking through the Sangamo, I'd completely forgotten that Athens ended up later that year, uh, later last season, beat Murrow Forsyth. Uh, 28 21 itself yeah they have that in their bag that's something they could definitely do um yeah. you know it's i'm not putting it out of the realm of possibilities but it's still uh it that that is that is williamsville's conference until someone else declares it it's not anymore one more game uh i just want to throw out there before i uh, ask you for your final thoughts is uh is east st louis at o'fallon uh east st louis uh, at two and two the two losses coming against two national powerhouses this is an east st louis team that i don't expect to lose uh, a game in state until maybe you get to the state championship game. And then anything can happen as we found out last year. But uh, there's a couple of reasons of note. One is O'Fallon. I believe it was the last regular season in state opponent to be East St. Louis. If I remember right, didn't O'Fallon beat them during That's the, correct. It, That's it correct. was during the spring of uh, that, the spring season. Yep. That, that was kind of shocking, but O'Fallon is off to a really nice start, man. Well, a good win, a great win for them last week against yeah. Edwardsville. Um, a lot of people really like Edwardsville. They they nipped them 32-31 in the game that they played. Um, and O'Fallon seems to have this ability that most of the teams in the Southwestern Conference don't seem to have, which is they've historically gave East St. Louis probably their better games in this league. So I it wouldn't shock me if this was a competitive game. I would be surprised if East St. Louis lost it. Um, but... If O'Fallon comes to the table and they're still in this game in the second half, it wouldn't shock me. Uh, this is a legitimately good football team um, that I think actually, once we get to the postseason, uh, will do some damage. And you know, they're they're probably an eight A team in the in the in the playoff format. But you know, I mean, they they already hold wins over Edwardsville, like we mentioned. They beat Normal Community to kick off the season, uh, and they beat Buchanan out of Missouri. Uh, as well during a, in a non-conference game, and they're they're largely considered to be a top ten typeish team in Missouri. So uh, so far, some really nice wins for them. I expect that to be a little bit more competitive than I think some people think it might be. All right, Seuss, give us some final thoughts as we get ready to uh, wrap this up and, and look forward to Week Five. Well, I think the, the the fun thing for me, at least the way that I look at the grand landscape of of these teams is that, you know, we've, we've got 70 plus teams that are four and zero, and it's always interesting to look at them, but we have a hundred, almost 130 teams in the state right now that are sitting at 500 records. And for me, that's the pivotal week. And that's the pivotal group to look at because the teams that lose from that two and two group this week are below 500 with four games to go. The only way to get back above 500 is to go three and one or better over your last four games. So uh, there's going to be some real, defining moments for a lot of team seasons this week. And that's where I find the most intrigue is between, you know, between those two and two teams, there are some games out there where two and twoers are playing against one another, or maybe that two and two has to play an undefeated team or whatever. 
So when we get through this week and we get to how many teams are left above 500, you'll start to see why I'm so staunchly predicting that we may have four and fives make the playoffs. Because if that, you know, above 500 list is at like 200 or 200, you know, 220, 230, which I think it's where it'll be. You still have to get some teams in there that are going to have to finish from that that group that's below 500, three and one or better the rest of the way. And I think we all know that if you were two and three through the first five games, the odds of you going three and one or four and oh over the last four are probably not that good. So that's this is where the numbers really start to bear themselves out after week five. And I'll be really anxious to see where those numbers are at. Yep, the playoff field is really starting to take shape. It's going to be a fun weekend of football across Illinois. Make sure you stick to FridayNightDrive.com to get all of your information for everything happening on Friday night and across the state on Saturday as well. For Steve Susie, you can find him at the Seuss on Twitter. You can find me at Kyle Neighbors. You can find all of our content at FN Drive at FridayNightDrive.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Friday Night Drive. And with that, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Everyone enjoy a good weekend of high school football. For Steve Susie, I am Kyle Neighbors. We will be back with you early next week to wrap up week five. Schweikert, Gannison, Krizak, Rundio proudly sponsors the Friday Night Drive. I'm Mike Krizak. If you've been injured, we are ready to take on the insurance company and get you to the end zone. We've recovered hundreds of millions of dollars for our clients. Visit gannassin.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus